Hello and happy new year. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Bueno, and it's 2021. Holy shit. Thank God. We made it out of 2020. And I got to tell you, I've been thinking about recording this intro and really pressuring myself to come up with something extraordinarily profound to say about the end of 2020 and ushering in the new energy of 2021. But y'all, I'm tired, like bone tired. This year has been a struggle. You've heard it, right? And I know that you've all been going through it too. So I'm going to take the pressure off of myself today. I don't need to say anything profound. I just am hoping for you and hoping for myself that we have all given ourselves time to set our intentions for 2021 and that we're we're able to move forward, hopefully in a more expansive and connected way. So with that being said, let me introduce you to today's guest. I'm so excited that since we've done this recording, Christina and I have been corresponding more via Marco Polo because Marco Polo is the best. And I'm just so excited for you to, to learn about Christina. So here we go. Christina Watkins, she, her, is a black, queer, mystic, healer, connector, writer, and change maker. She lives in Oakland, California, and maintains a private practice that centers black folks and queer people of color. And since we recorded this episode, she's actually started doing more tarot reading online. So we've got info in the show notes to connect with her. So please, please, please take a deep breath, center yourself, and enjoy our first conversation of 2021 with Chris Watkins. Hey, Chris, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. And I was thinking about it before we started the recording, and I, I'm going to guess that we met in 2015. That would be my guess. I feel like it was before then. I feel like I met you when Mishara was interning with you. <gasps> oh! Was, um, I don't know why we would have, but like 2012-ish is what I'm thinking. Oh, then maybe there was some sort of like event or something that I went to as her supervisor. Yes. That would make a lot of sense. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been a while. I know, right? And then, well, I know we saw each other again in 2015 because I remember her coming to visit and staying with me for the 4th of July. And I think you were around, were you still living in Chicago then? 2015? I was like, gosh, like 2015. I felt like I was in California by then, but my memory of that time is a little, <laughs> a little it could fuzzy. be. It could also be 14. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Anyway, listeners are probably like, <laughs> listeners are like, I don't give a shit how long we've known each other, whatever. But <laughs> but to give a little context, so one of the reasons that you're here is one of my dear friends, Mishera, is like your BFF, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And listeners will remember Mishera from, I believe it was February of 2019 is when her episode aired, Eat Snacks, Take Naps. So go back and listen to that if you want to remember the brilliance of Mishera. It's really great. Go listen to it. Yeah. So thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you want to start digging in by telling folks more about who you are and what you do, and we'll take it from there. Yeah. So I'm Chris. She, her pronouns. I'm Black. I'm queer. I'm a healer. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I worked a lot. Well, I worked in community mental health. I've worked in residential and supervised, uh, was with a private practice, but I'm now in my own gig, just doing that now. So that's me. But before before I got into social work, theater, acting, directing, playwriting was actually my first career. 
I remember this now. Yeah. So stories have always kind of been a through line of things that interest me. I feel really honored to get to do this work and to be with mm-hmm. people and witness stories and learn so much more about myself and about humanity. So yeah, it's been great. And I, you know, the, the past couple of years have, have definitely been some transitions. I think I'm still working through, yeah, do I want to be a therapist anymore? And what ways does it work for me and that are mm-hmm. not harmful, that are sustainable, yeah. that allow me to not just work and then have to recover from work and that be the whole entirety of my life. So the past two years have brought a lot of changes, which have been really great and and expanding ideas about healing and where I might be most useful and get the most joy. That's awesome. I really, really, really want to dig into the question about whether or not to stay a therapist and how you like recover from that. But first, <laughs> before we dig into that, because I yeah. am super interested, let's go back into your history and wherever feels appropriate. I'm curious how you were like, I'm going to be a therapist. This is what I'm going to do for my life. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great question. I was thinking about it. I was like, how did I end up here? You know, there have just been some moments in my life where I've just been very sure about a, a next step. So I went to a fine arts school from fifth grade to high school. Oh, wow. And then I was a theater performance major. And then I helped with founding the theater company in Atlanta. And then I was there. And the mentor I had at another side gig I had where I was interning, she did the grant writing, but also was a social worker by trade. And so hearing Ah. her talk about the job she'd had, the courses she took, and kind of realizing too, theater is a visual art. And therefore, there's a lot of racism embedded in it. And so it was really painful, not at that theater particularly, but it, it was making me question where I wanted to be and where would I feel more empowered. My grandmother actually is still alive, but no longer working, but she was a social worker. But I, funnily enough, I didn't really know what that meant or entailed entirely, mm-hmm. but I just kind of got this sense that I should apply for school for it. I had a friend in Chicago and I said, you know, after I'm done with Atlanta, maybe I'll move there. And so I looked up the school in Chicago and applied and I meant to apply stuff to some other ones, but then had uh, some dental emergencies and didn't have insurance. So I was like, ah, I'll just wait and see if I get oh, in or wow. not. And then I did. And so I moved and then got to social work school. And it was great to, I learned a lot about a lot of things, particularly since even though I went to a fine arts school, the education was a bit more like a conservatory. So I knew a lot about theater. I knew a lot about art and my experience there that I've been in my life since fifth grade. But yeah, it was, it was a definitely a whole new world. Right. And I actually have a, a background in music and theater too. Hi. And yeah, one of the things I've realized, like being a therapist and learning more about human behavior, I would be so much better of an actress now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I also just in trusting myself more. Like there'd be decisions yes. I make and it'd be like, oh, nobody sits like that or nobody would do that. And it's like, actually, people do a lot of things. And trusting myself more in that. And and I feel like what I appreciate about my education and acting was the focus on listening and classes around how to listen to what is being said to what's not being said, body language. Mm. So a lot of transferable skills for sure. Yeah. That and waitressing. I feel like waitressing in theater prepared me. Oh for my therapy. God. Right. Yes. I waitressed during grad school and I, I was also so much better at being a waitress once I had a little bit of education there because then I was able to be more like real connecting with my customers. Yeah, it's funny how it can all, being human, I mean, it goes I together. know, <laughs> I know. I really, truly, I've always said, I think that everybody should have to have some sort of service job in their life. Like that should be a requirement in America in order to learn empathy and not treat people like shit. I agree. And yeah. if someone is rude to serve, like 
that lets me know that I can just leave. <laughs> right? right. I don't need to have further conversation. Right. Or the conversation will be about, so how you treat people? Let's talk about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have some questions. Yeah. Well, m- moving from that, like how you treat people and what you said earlier about like, how do I be a therapist and how do I make it sustainable? One of the things I'm really thinking about for myself right now and my staff is this idea of being objectified as a therapist and how, especially right now during the pandemic, clients are kind of just like throwing their shit and like, here, you take it. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, certain things like expecting me to change my schedule last minute and all this sort of stuff. And I'm curious if you relate to that and what other ways you started to question whether or not this profession feels right anymore for you. Yeah, the objectification piece is interesting. I think where that comes up more for me is around race. And I, I think that was something that was very difficult when the last agency I was at with everything that's been happening with the more focused attention from the media around mm-hmm. issues of racism, oppression, Black Lives Mattering, you know, just the continued murder of our people and then to have to go into work. And particularly at the job I was at last, I had more white clients than I've ever had before. It was a lot. There are some really beautiful moments that gave me hope. And then, but a lot of thinking about, particularly I think within an agency that was also grappling with these concerns of what is, reciprocity look like? What is being asked of me? Is that appropriate? The harm? You mean like from management? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. From everybody. Management, clients. What does it look like? And that was not something taught in school. All the uh-uh. classes, if there was a class that talked about culture or cross-cultural, it was always assumed that the therapist was white. I got so many reminders that I wasn't meant to be or wasn't thought of to be in the space of the clinician. Not to mention like working cross-culturally with different folks of color never even could get to that level. And so I think that was a growing awareness for me. I think I was, I don't know what the word would be, shielded. I don't know what the word would be, but I had a different kind of real visceral understanding around racism and people's perceptions of me was more when I was around 27 was when I think it really sunk in and a really Saturn returns. Yeah, actually, it's probably probably around what it is. Of like, <laughs> wow, uh, wow, okay. And just just understanding in a different way. I think that's a longer story, but I, but I think my grandfather worked for Martin Luther King Jr. My parents are very active. So I think there was mm. also this raising us with the idea of the how they wanted the world to be. And I think maybe they had more conversations with my brothers so where gender comes into that. I uh. thought I was really struggling with mental health as a teen. So I think it was just like, how do we keep Chris alive? Yeah, um, yeah. What is happening? Um, so there was a lot that I, that I felt a little late to the gate on or maybe knew what was happening, but didn't have language for it until much later. And then that's something I'm really thankful for with the ways conversations seem to be happening a bit more now. Like even that, you know, that people are talking about decolonizing therapy, you know, that was not at all, right. you know, when I was at a fellowship and what was that 2015, 2014, mm-hmm. they had never heard of a microaggression and thought it was a really cute word. <laughs> and so it's interesting to, you know, sit with folks and then the mask how you're doing, you're like, yeah, you know, it's been a, it's been a week and them say, oh, yeah, I didn't even think about it. Yeah, you're black, you know, and or, you know, is it okay that I'm asking you about this because you're black? And it's like, well, I've been black this whole time. And and, we, and I something I actually <laughs> like this is it. And it's something I talk about with clients from the get. And, you know, also with with clients where we might have identities that feel more mirrored. And what are the expectations mm-hmm. where there might be assumptions that I understand or where I might assume I understand. And actually, our experience is very different because we're not a monolith. Mm hmm. I'm really grateful for all the different folks I've gotten to work with, of different genders, different races, different ethnicities, different stages of life, um, different mm-hmm. concerns. I've learned something from everything, but but I think 
particularly I think as I've become more healed and present in my life and less associated, I'm more aware of when things hurt. And and I think for so long would kind of assume I'm being too sensitive. It's probably not mm. I'm misreading it. And so it wouldn't sometimes I'd have very delayed like six months response and then feel like, well, it's too late for me to say anything. And now that I am more associated and connected and present, and I think just having experienced more and having gotten to be in positions of power and try to help shift change and use my voice. My tolerance is very different and being reminded too that I have a choice and, and what, yes. yeah, what does it mean to be in relationship with people where just because I'm the therapist doesn't mean you get to harm me. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and yeah, they don't teach you like, so what do you say to your client? How do you come back to that? Like, Oh yeah, I guess I, I don't think of you as black. How do you come back to that? What space do I need before I can enter that conversation? I think also like the pressure I can feel around certain things to have conversations or call things out. Why is that on me? The ways there can be the power differential of me being the therapist, but if my client is a white, cis, straight male, you know, and so just all these different intersections. I think for me, as far as, you know, I will always be a healer, be a creator. I think there are continued awakenings around, okay, I'm paying this money to get my license renewed. And I have to take these classes for CEUs that are actively harmful that mm-hmm. are teaching things that are racist, um, mm-hmm. that were not built with me in mind or some of the folks I have the honor to work with in mind. And what does it mean to keep engaging in that system? But then there's also, what does it mean to pull out? Because there is power with having these letters behind my names that allow me to get support in certain ways for my folks that I'm working with that is useful or to get to be in the room and be like, hey, so here's why this policy is not equitable. So if you're saying it's here because you're trying to be equitable, well, it's not. So let's talk about that. And this person actually isn't needing an, they may need an accommodation. You can't see my air quotes, but yeah. But what we're not talking about is how folks, particularly like white folks or with social work, particularly like white cis straight women are getting accommodated. We're just not calling it that. We're calling it normal. And that's problematic. Right, right. I love everything you said. And there's a trillion things I want to respond to. (laughs) But you said something that really like landed so deeply in my soul that you said, as I've healed myself more, I now know when I'm hurting. Like I, yeah, I'm like feeling really emotional about that. And the beauty of allowing yourself to come home to yourself. It's just really, really lovely. Yeah. Mashera helped me, has helped me so much. Like our friendship has right? been so healing. We yeah, talk about it all the time. Is. Right now. She's, yeah. She's magic. Just the reflections that, that, yeah, like what if I don't deserve harm? What if I can trust myself? What if I have something, I can trust that I have something to offer? Yeah. What does it mean to be at home in my body? And it's just existing in a world that, you know, I was, I was saying the other day, I was so trigger warning, I guess, but like, what does it mean to live in a country where I'm very aware that I could walk out and be hit, raped, murdered by, for example, a white guy, and very likely nothing would happen. That is heavy to walk with. Right. I think also being more in touch with my anger, in part because I'm more at home and have more self-worth, because anger, you know, as far as like, I talk with Claire, like emotions are data, right? And they give us information on what's happening. So my anger lets me know that I'm feeling that something not right has happened. Protest. Yeah. And to me, and that maybe I'm worth getting upset about. Maybe people don't yeah. just get to <laughs> yes. treat me any kind of way and I smile and make them feel comfortable, which gets really complicated because also safety. Yes. Just all that, all that having to navigate all those things thinking about. So I think for me, like one of the things I've realized is I can't have as many clients and I can't do so many hours of direct work back to back to back to back 
also my body, my body really lets me know actually, because it knows Mm. it just gets louder and louder until I listen. And so, you know, sitting for hours a day, particularly, you know, moving online, but Mm -hmm. even before, because, you know, in community mental health, we've been going to homes, like there's actually a lot more movement, which I think there's a lot of that in theater too. So it it just, so when switching from that into doing more kind of, you know, quote unquote, traditional therapy, my body rebelled because it's not, and I, I was working with this amazing body worker, Rabia Tariq, and, and they said, you know, Chris, if you keep like shifting your body to accommodate, you're doing a lot of harm. Like, how do you make it accommodate to you? Which was so powerful to me on so many levels, physically, mental, all of it. Of Yeah, what would it look like if I stopped trying to contort myself to fit other people's ideas about how I should be? And what if I just didn't? Yeah. And what I'm finding really interesting about this. So like to kind of go back to what you said about like experiencing your anger. So I'm getting trained. Everyone knows. Yes, yes, yes. I keep talking <laughs> about NARM, blah, blah. Yeah. They're like, say something else. But um, so mm-hmm. NARM, neuroeffective relational model. One of the things that they talk about in that is everybody has their default emotion that they go to. And then there's the primary emotion underneath that. And grief and protest are essentially the like primary emotions that that people need to move through. It's like mm-hmm. in somatic experiencing, there's a, a physicality that you need to do to get unstuck. NARM is really about unsticking these primary emotions. And I'm hearing you talk about this lack of accommodation from a really primary place and this protest of like, really, truly coming from the depth of your soul and not a reaction to which a lot of people move through the world. And I'm going to, I'm going to be a strong woman because my dad was a dick and I'm doing it like, you know, to Mm -hmm. counter him. It's not from that. It's from this really honest, really authentic, deep place. And it's very, it's very moving the way that you talk about it. Thanks. Yeah. I, it's interesting you say that too, because I feel like I experienced grief very differently this year than I've ever experienced in my life Mm. and a very visceral for now, for generations past, for future, like it's just a very intense way. And something that used to be the case was I could get very angry if I saw harm being done to someone else, then I was there for it. Then I, you know, no problem. But if it only impacted me, that was really difficult for me Mm. and still definitely a growing area. And so again, kind of, I think about the data. Okay. So when I'm feeling, when, when these thoughts start to come up, this anxiety or this feeling like I did it wrong, it's just a sign for me to pause and and what's really happening, like guilt and shame. Did I actually do something that I need to, you know, uh, take accountability for and figure out some repair for rupture? Or is that the one I've been trained to feel? Right. That is actually true. Right. And there's a collective awakening to this coming home right now. Mm-hmm. I think for so many people, I think I just, I'm, I'm having these conversations with some of my staff and a lot of my friends and I'm experiencing it too. So I think cosmically we're all right on track. Yeah. It's, it's been, um, it's been a really long journey. You know, I've been doing a lot with my, with plants <laughs> since, since being more at home and they've taught me so much and just about how things take time and how sometimes it can seem maybe like nothing's happening on the surface. And then Next morning, oh, there's a new little leaf popping out. And, mm. you know, I've been in therapy on and off since I was 15. Same. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Right. Yeah. And brain spotting. Are you familiar with brain spotting? Not really, but I know you and Mashera did that training. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me. I'm going to butcher it. But basically, it really aligns with my thoughts on healing, which is that your brain and body 
actually do know what they need and, and know mm-hmm. what they need to heal. And I've always thought that my job as a therapist is to help figure out how to quiet the noise so you can hear yourself. Yes. And I feel like brain spotting is a technique that allows that to happen in a very subcortical, very bodily way, somatics in general and exploring that has been, a, I think again, because my, my theater and movement background mm-hmm. has always been something I've incorporated and paid attention to and having different language to talk about it with the folks I work with and, and interesting to how just a reminder of, of the trauma our society has done of, of separating us from our bodies and think about why and the power you have when someone is separated from their body or believes their body to be wrong or dangerous to trust, you know, which is hard when you've had experience where, where your body has been the site of trauma, has been the site of harm. And often the, the internalization can be that somehow it was your fault or your body's fault. And so what is it to work with, get that it's not separate, to clue in and to not see it as something to be conquered has been quite powerful. And I'm really thankful that for the work I've been doing. <laughs> yeah, I'm so thankful for my body. Yeah. And I just want to give you a little shout out to and kudos for just I can tell how intentional you are about like in the email exchanges that we've had, like you take time, you come back and you ask for clarification and then you check in with yourself. This is what I'm making up. This is what you do Mm -hmm. is that you check in with yourself. Like, do I have a yes or no for this? And I'm guessing there's a somatic component to that. And then you come back and say, this is what'll work. This is what won't. And you're like, you have like a PhD in healing. It's just so it's, it's, it's really cool. It's really cool. I don't know. I think when we start talking about healing in a way that is so deep and so real, it's beyond language. And so sometimes I'm just like, I'm just feeling a lot of feelings right now. And I can't really communicate it to listeners. But I'm always hopeful that people are vibing with the conversation and and also resonating at that really, really deep level. Yeah, I've always like written since I was I, like could hold a pencil and what it's like to know that there are things where it's just can't hold or capture. Sometimes in session, I'll tell like, you know, and I'll just make some sound like, you know, and just like that's there kind of is a point where the words just don't get it. And I really appreciate that reflection. It's something I've been really working on mm-hmm. to come back to things, to mm-hmm. know that just because it passed and I needed time or I thought this, but then because I was so used to overriding what I actually needed. Yes. Appease is definitely a response that comes up for me a lot. And and so what is it to slow down and, and to mm-hmm. say, hey, actually, I thought about it and I, I need something different and not feel guilty about that. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's still a journey because I still I read that email like 30 times before I sent it. I was like, all right, Chris, so oh, this is my anxiety coming up. This did. is your perfectionism. Yeah. Oh. Because what does it mean for me to advocate for myself? Right. Can I share with listeners what you asked for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were just talking about doing the podcast and the labor that you would be holding. And you said, hey, I noticed you're a Reiki master. Would you be willing to offer me a Reiki session in trade for this? And I was like, that's a fucking brilliant idea. <laughs> like yeah. more, than, more than yes, I'd be willing. Like I'm honored. I'm excited. And I've been thinking about fun things that we can do with it together. And And so, you know, it's just interesting how you asking for what you need also brought me joy. I love to hear that. I think a lot this year in particular, been thinking about, okay, so this is what I want to see on a macro level. How do I make that happen on a, on a micro yeah. level? I think something I really recognize that I feel like I finally, hopefully, please, I don't need more lessons universe, work through <laughs> is around some, and I think also some generational stuff around work and what it means to be a good worker and to, you know, in a complicated, right? Like, how do I use the privileges I have responsibly 
in the same way I hold others to account. And then what were parts of where that overwork was a way of self-harm or, mm-hmm. you know, going above and beyond? Why? Why, though? I think because some traumas that happened when I was younger, I think a sense of guilt and needing to pay penance and somehow everything, yeah. you know, and just how can go and go. And then there's a moment where I realized not only was it harming me, but it actually was setting up other people in this way. Yeah. Of, like, I remember there was another queer clinician of color who was frustrated because not meeting productivity. And this person said, you know, I can't do it. Da, da, da. And I was like, well, who else do you know who's queer and person of color here meeting our product, product productivity standards? He's like, well, you. Mm. Yeah, but let me talk about what that looks like and about how my partner and my friend and my family get the crumbs of me, if anything. How yes. people want to have a phone date during the week. And I look at them like, what are you talking about? How could I ever do that? How mm-hmm. I've neglected my body. How? And so I, I realized like the ways in which I how to be more open about the pain because it was yeah. continuing this narrative of it's like strong black woman. She's fine. Chris can do it all. And it was like, no, there's a consequence. And so let's just be really real. So you can meet productivity, but here are the consequences. I don't have it all. That's not a thing to have or to want uh, in my opinion. Right. And so there's that. And then like where in my relationships with folks, particularly with my white friends of and white colleagues of being just being much more clear about the consequences of actions of, mm-hmm. Hey, so you said this, and here's how that was for me. I'm open to repair. It's going to take time. I'm going to need to build trust. Or I had some colleagues where I was like, I'm not going to go into this follow-up meeting with you because the experience continues to be that we go mm. and we have a plan and y'all don't speak because you know I will step in and do it. Oh, wow. And then afterwards you feel bad and I'm not. So you guys, I, I love that you're wanting to, you know, follow up to try to make it right. So go have that meeting. I'm no longer going to do that. You have to earn my trust again. And that has been really powerful and also allowed for much more intimate, honest relationships because I'm not just swallowing my pain and pretending it doesn't hurt. And I think that's been really important for me to acknowledge, yeah, that this hurts. And the authenticity piece, I think my my partner's like, be transparent, Chris, don't be translucent. (laughs) So, you know, know, which I I love because I think that's something I struggle with too. Uh, You know, not actually not everybody can hold my story right. with the sacredness it deserves. So maybe you don't get to hold, have all the information right now yes. or get access to all these parts of me. And what if that shame, not because I'm ashamed, it's because I'm treating it with the sacredness it's deserved. And right. and it's okay to look at your actions and believe them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am relating to you so deeply in terms of, and the way that I frame it is I abused myself with work. Mm-hmm. I was objectifying myself and abusing myself. And yeah, for me too, it was all about like childhood stuff of like, I mean, you had to be productive. There was no, like rest was not a thing. Like your rest was just going to church on Sunday morning. That that was it. And was always doing, always going. And Mishera honestly has been probably my biggest. (laughs) And I didn't know we shared this. So you, you and I must be having very similar conversations. And, and the other, the other day we were poloing, everyone knows I love Marco Polo. And she was like, I just don't understand people who want to work. And I was listening (laughs) just like, I wish, like, I wish that I could feel okay the way that she feels about rest and play. Like, and I'm actively trying to cultivate that. I'm going to Workaholics Anonymous. Like, I'm I'm doing stuff to try to unwind it. But this shit is a bitch. Yeah. And it's deep. And, and for me, you know, also, like, what is it? I think this is another kind of a generational kind of thing in my family. But and just my experience. Like, I remember in acting school, 
Uh, <laughs> she rolls her eyes. <laughs> yes, yes. There you have some really beautiful things, met some really beautiful people, and and a lot of pain. So there are maybe like, I don't know, six, eight, not a lot of folks of color at all. And I remember speaking with the director of the program who was looking at the list of people who are on academic probation and saying, and, and saying like he didn't know if he could keep bringing us here because only me and one other person weren't on probation. There's a whole list of white folks on that list. Us, meaning yeah. <gasps> all people of color, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so this, this like tension, I, I think I often feel around the awareness of that if this goes well or doesn't go well, it may mean they give someone else who looks like mm-hmm. me, who loves me, whatever, a second chance, or they don't because of how racism right works, how oppression works. Right. So you have to be the standard. Yes. And then what is the cost of that? Do I have to be, you know, and and that constant calculation of what that means, what's the cost of not the mm-hmm. way that my family of having eyes on you and the, what does it mean to be part of a community, right? And be accountable to a whole, but within a society that is built on racism and genocide and oppression. And there's just so much to navigate in that way. And so untangling it. So I think that's part of the work stuff too, of knowing what happened before me and what folks in my family and in my community have done. So I could even be in class or at the table, could be a supervisor and wanting to use that really responsibly. And then also, what does it mean of of how many people we've lost so early to death because of stress, because of the toxicity? Like, just like there were behaviors I did when I was younger or, or, you know, a couple of years ago that served a purpose. They helped me get through. Mm -hmm. They're no longer serving me. And so what does it mean? Like, what are the different ways that I can engage? And my grandmother couldn't, right? Right. And got a job over the phone and then was like, oh, I'm colored. Is that going to be a problem? They're like, oh, yeah, it is. You can't work here. But yeah, I don't think she wants me to be suffering. There's just so much. Mm -hmm. And how to give myself space and have people in my life to help me see. Like, I remember that actually with Michelle. I was like really frustrated at work and she had me go through my calendar and, and, and <laughs> actually track how many hours I was working. Mm. I was like, well, I have, you know, I have an appointment. What a bitch. I know. <laughs> and she was like, Chris, no, no, if you're there eight to five, like all that counts. And then after we did it and I realized how many hours a week I was working, which I hadn't really consciously been aware of, you know, she said, so you're beating yourself up for not being a good friend or a good partner or, you know, doing these things you say you want to do for your health. But where would you do that? How would you do that? And and, and I think growing older, because <laughs> my body's letting me know, like to, to realize like I actually can't do it all. And so when I say yes to something, that is saying no to something else. Oh God. Oh, I felt that so deep. <laughs> right? And how to like step into that with integrity. So no, I'm not going to do that because I want to take a nap. That That's hard for me. Or, okay, Chris, you're saying yes to doing this extra thing for work or agreeing to be on this committee or whatever. So what are the ways you're going to replenish yourself? That you just keep giving and giving and giving and not in a way of like, oh, I'm so great, but the, the pool, right? And also the ways then I, oh, I don't have time to think about my stuff, you know, or I get to every day kind of feel like I'm earning the right to exist and really having to be like, where does that come from? Or when I'm going over emails time and time again, it's like, okay, Chris, so this is white supremacy playing out. Do you want to keep engaging in this way? You know, I think that's a, a gift and sometimes probably very refreshing. And the ways I kind of go in and out of micro, macro, micro, macro, and like, so I got a concussion in March. I'm fine. But one of the things has been the ways that it impacted grammar and spelling and mm-hmm. um, would just drop random words. And mm. that's something that was really drilled into me growing up and also the school I went to. And 
and really having to reckon with that. Like, okay, Chris, so you got the wrong there, there, there. Okay. And having to grapple with the ways I hadn't always realized of how I judge people or expected to be judged. And did I want to keep playing into that? And someone pointed out was that I don't really capitalize anymore when I'm e- emailing with people. And a lot of what I think about now is how to bring intention and awareness that I make a choice. So if there's a situation and I'm like going, okay, I'm going to engage with you in this way and it's appeasing and I'm doing it for this reason, I'm aware I'm doing it. You know, what's the difference between me doing something to soothe, to numb, if I'm numbing, can I acknowledge I'm numbing? So I think so much of trauma impact on me is that feeling of lack of agency of things happening to me. And so what's been healing mm-hmm, is realizing mm-hmm. where do you have choice? Do I have to stay at this job? What does it mean if I leave? And of course, there's privilege within that, right? And so, okay, so if I have to stay, do I have to keep engaging with this person in this way? Like, where are my options, even though it feels like there are none? Is that actually true right now? There have been right. times historically where that has been true for me and for people who, you know, my generations of folks. So it makes sense that I might assume that, and that's what trauma does, right? But is that actually true right now? Do I want to make a different choice? And sometimes it's, yeah, I'm going to keep scrolling on Instagram for another hour. I really should go to bed, but okay, but there's an awareness. And so there's a different, for me at least, there's a different impact. Well, it's agency. You are reclaiming that. Yeah. It feels different. I'm just, I'm really thinking about, I mean, you're saying all the NARM things, which is really funny. So you should totally check it out. I'm such a NARM pusher. I think everybody should check it out. I'm just really, as you're talking, I keep thinking about what it must be like to be one of your clients because I am feeling so nourished by this conversation and you're not trying to help me. Like that's not even what you're intentionally trying to do right now. So, I mean, I'd love to shift into the the healer and wounded healer question. And you've already said multiple times that you consider yourself a healer. And one thing I find really interesting about asking this question over and over is how do people frame that word? Because you said like we can be using the same language, but it means different things. So what does the word healer mean to you? So healer, like when I think about, and I think that's newer for me too, to really own that I have something to offer that can help mm-hmm. or assist folks in healing. So healing to me means, I think the way it shows up for me often, it's the way I can help create a space, the way I can sometimes pull out or speak to or, or hear something that we might've tripped over or missed. Healing to me is supporting people and creating the conditions so that their body and brain and system can do what they need to do. So if that's a therapy session, if that's a walk outside, if it's brain spotting, if it's tarot reading, if it's thinking about different, yeah, crystal, if it's whatever, like that, helping mm. people and reminding people that they can trust themselves. So that's how I think about healing. And I think there's also something there on creation and stories. I don't have quite the, the words for it at this moment, but I think that's been a through line. The wounded healer, it's interesting. I, that was a term I used to identify with. And for me, I think something that happened was the ways in which my identity kind of got wrapped up in what was wrong with me and and this way of being, okay, well, that's who I am. Identifications, kinda. yep. Hopefully Chris is going to be fine. We don't know. Everybody's like, wait, you know, and so there's a way of, for me, I think more of like, I'm a human healer, which means that, yeah, mm. I got stuff I'm working on and always will. And I have some gifts to offer, just like you do. Mm. And in my master's degree, we, we had to write an essay kind of about, I don't really remember even what the assignment was, but I wrote about what I think are the three components needed for therapy. And I talked about how I, I like to go back and read it sometimes to remind me of like what I knew and then kind of forgot as I went through training or got like. Yes, yes. What you inherently like knew, what the healer that brought you to social work school. 
Exactly. Before it kind of got round. I don't want to say beaten out. That's, that's too intense, but, but before I learned to doubt it. And so right, right. I think about like as a co-explorer with you and I think about Alice in Wonderland and how sometimes we're inviting where we're going. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes I'll be in the lead. Sometimes I'll be beside you. Sometimes we just need to sit and eat some snacks and have some tea <laughs> and be like, here we are. Uh, okay. This is where we're at. We're here together. The sky is blue. Cool. And the three components were courage, hope, and love. And I still mm. stand by that. And I think that's what I bring. That is healing. Yeah, that's that's it. And I had my second internship. It was at a, a detox for addiction. And the therapist who was my, uh, my, I'm losing words right now, but my supervisor at the time was like, I always love to have students because they see things that we are invisible to us now. And so I'm just thinking about that essay. And I, I love that you pull it out and remind yourself like where, where you came from. Mm-hmm. Like what, what is it that I know before I was told I didn't? And how do I get back to that? You know, I just want to go back to an acting class one time. We had this assignment to like envision ourselves at 85 or something. And I remember very distinctly being like, I want to get back to the Christmas, like six, not back. I don't want to move back and forwards. But that Chris that didn't doubt, that knew she knew things, but was curious, didn't think she knew all the things, but trusted what she knew, didn't automatically assume she was wrong. That was joyful and playful and and so how to get, how to, again, like how to get to those truths and knowledge I know, what does it feel like in my body when I'm present and making a decision versus when I'm on auto? And that to me has been really an interesting journey and really helpful because I find that the body does not lie. And so my thoughts can take me to lots of places, but if I'm able to really slow down and, and take a minute, my body always lets me know. And what is it to be able to relearn and remember the language of my body? Because that's my first language. Ooh, you're just brilliant. Like, <laughs> ooh, I just, yeah, I'm I'm just kind of like swimming in the vibes <laughs> that have been created in this conversation. I just, I, yeah. I just really thank you. Your commitment. See, this is okay. Therapists, if you're out there listening to this, Chris embodies what it means to do your own work. You doing your own work and connecting to yourself is what helps you connect with other people. Like we would not be able to be vibing this way if one of us was not like doing this intense work. So this is it. This is the invitation, folks. This is this is why I do this podcast is to have conversations like this and and show the beauty. Like I was having a conversation with my therapist today and I'm I'm experiencing this place kind of like you're saying, a feeling like I'm now trusting myself in a way that I haven't before. And, you know, I just started crying and she's like, what emotion are you feeling? I'm like, gratitude. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for the stuff that I've been through and it, it was worth it. Yeah. It was worth it. And I've never felt that until recently. And I feel you feeling that and I'm just, I'm just in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God. They've heard me cry so Beautiful. much. No, it's great. Yeah. I uh, Now I'm starting to be like, oh my God, Chris, why are you crying? I'm like, why aren't you crying? <laughs> do you really want to do this? It's so beautiful. How could you not cry? Or so, you know, whatever. And just like, yeah, that's how my body expresses yeah. so many emotions. And I love that. I love that you're getting to get that place. I had a moment, I think it was this year, where I was just like, I'm so glad I hung in here. Yes. Yes. I'm so glad. I It's better than I ever could have imagined. And I'm so excited for what's ahead. And feels so much more whole. And yeah, like I think it's really interesting to say this out loud. It's very also feeling the feels of this deep trust in myself that for so long felt so far away. 
And even the idea of being aligned with my body and not feeling like we were, it betrayed me and we were against each other. It's huge and took so much work and it's so worth it. And yeah, to folks like do it with support, get a good community. No, it's not linear, but Mm. get to live, like actually live. What a beautiful gift. Yeah. Thrive instead of survive. Well, we're coming to the end of our time and I could talk to you forever and just keep <laughs> crying because I love to cry, but yes. you want to tell folks where, where they can find out more about you? Yeah. So my website is Christina Watkins, LCSW.com. And that's really it. it. It's been interesting. I feel like I've very much hermited a bit and, mm-hmm. and I'm so thankful for it actually. So that's where I'm at right now. There might be more to come. I might eventually, I'd like to get back into writing, maybe share some stuff. But yeah, that's where you can find out more about me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for trusting me today, for for sharing your heart and soul with the audience today. I, I just know this is really going to resonate with so many people, and I just really appreciate it so much. Thank you for thinking of me and for having me and helping create this space. I really appreciate it. Chris is pretty great, right? (laughs) I knew you'd enjoy that conversation with her. So if you want to learn more about Chris, you can go to our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And thanks as always to Andrea Clender and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, take care.